Welcome to another podcast by Dr. Dennis Smith, Senior Pastor of Covenant Life Ministries. To find out more, go to lifeandfocustv.com. You know, life is like perishable food. If you don't use it, you lose it. I remember we had a freezer out um, in a storage building, had a wire running to it, just wired it, and inadvertently, someone, something unplugged that wire, and we didn't know it until a little later. We happened to go to the freezer for some reason, looked in there, and everything had begun to fall out. And we had a choice to make at that point in time. We could cook it or throw it away. We could use it or lose it. A house left empty, strangely enough, will begin to deteriorate. It needs to be lived in. A car or truck, automobile, if it just sits idle for long periods of time, it doesn't operate efficiently. You use it or you lose it. If you, maybe when you were in high school or college, you learned another language, a foreign language. But after you finished that course or class, you stopped using it. You haven't practiced it for several years now. And I would uh, imagine that by now, for the most part, you lost it because you didn't use it. Certain uh, activities, especially you notice this as you get older, and if you were involved in sporting activities and you go out and maybe you get with a little bit younger crowd and you're out there playing basketball or whatever it may be and you play real hard, everything goes pretty well until the next morning. And on the next morning you say, man, I haven't used any of those muscles in a long time. You use it or you lose it. When it comes to our muscles, the muscles in our body, uh, unused muscles tend to atrophy. And atrophy is, uh, is the wasting away of muscles, which is a result of the disuse or disrupted nerve supply to the muscles. For instance, if a person is bedridden or is in a cast for a long time, then they begin to lose the strength within their body, within the limbs of their body. And uh, after a long period of time, we notice that when we study this, we know after a long period of time, these muscles will be about one quarter of their original size. You use it or you lose it. The brain, Dr. Marion Diamond, was a leading neuroscientist and included studying the uh, Albert Einstein preserved brain. And some states, she said, the brain is three pounds of dynamic, beautiful complexity capable of development even in old age. Hallelujah, amen. Amen. She shattered the old paradigm that said that the brain is just static, is unchangeable, that it just degenerates with age. She said that the brain could be stimulated through environmental input and stimulation, and she summarized the brain this way. Use it or lose it. It's true 
when it comes to spiritual life, there is a spiritual atrophy where you use what God has given you or you lose it. You exercise your faith or it dwindles. We must exercise our spiritual muscles. We have talents, gifts, abilities that we have been given. Now they differ according to uh, each individual. We have different gifts, talents, and abilities, and that's a good thing. But if you don't use that, then you begin to lose it or lose the effectiveness of it in your life. For years in the ministry, as a young pastor in country churches and then all through the years, um, the most of those years were spent with me playing the keyboard or piano and leading worship. It was an every Sunday thing for me. Well, it was more than that. It was during the week as you were preparing and praying. And, and, um, and if you got together to rehearse or practice with the team, it, was, it, was, it, it happened during the week. And then on Sunday, every Sunday at least once, we gathered together and I would sit at the keyboard or piano and I would, for the most part, would be the leader of worship. I would play, I would sing. And, and it was just an integral, a powerful part of my life. It was part of who I was and I think who I am. God gave me those abilities. It flowed supernaturally. Times that I'm not the most creative person in the world, but in that spirit, I could sit down at a keyboard and before very long in playing, words would just begin to come and the spirit would begin to move and flow. It was when you're working when you're living out your gift, there is a flow and there's a freedom in it. And as you do that, it develops. Well, I don't say this to complain, but I just say it because it's life example. No one could be more grateful than I am for those who are part, who are part of this praise and worship team. We have some excited, spirit-filled, talented folks up here and more and more that are coming and becoming a part of this. And I'm grateful for every one of them. I don't, I, I yield to them because I'm grateful for them and they do a better job than I would do. And I'm glad every one of them up here. But I noticed that, that over a period of time, because I, I wasn't practicing it every week, I started singing, worshiping, playing piano less during the week. And I backed away from that. I worshiped, I sang along with people but you, there, there were days when I could sit down and practically any song that we did, I could play through, I could worship. Someone say, just sit down and play a worship song for me and it would, it would just be there. But regret, regrettably, I have to say that because of a lack of use of that, it's challenging to me now when someone says, would you just sit and pray with a worship song? It's challenging me. I have nothing that really comes to mind. I'm not familiar with those enough to play them on the keyboard. I have lost that. Now, thank God for His mercy and grace. Those things can be regained as you decide to use them, put them into practice. But that has shown, uh, I think, me more than anything else, how you become rusty when you don't use something after a while. And that is a divine principle. It's a principle of life. The life precept we're talking about today is use it or lose it. It's a kingdom principle. God established it. Remember, 
We have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the dear son. The kingdom of darkness, Satan, the enemy, where we were in sin and disobedience, through the entrance of the cross, which was the door into the new kingdom, the kingdom of God, you and I became citizens of the kingdom. We became king's kids. The father is the king. We belong to a different place. We're to live in a different world. And God wants us to know how to do that effectively. The problem is that for many of us, we're trying to live out the kingdom mindset and the kingdom lifestyle, but we're still stuck back in a lot of the old principles of this world system. Now, God has established certain laws and principles for us to live by as citizens of his kingdom. They're different in many ways. At many times they're different from the world system. They're better and they work. Someone once said, kingdom is not as much about getting into heaven as getting heaven into us. Let's go to Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25, beginning with verse 14. And in Matthew chapter 25, and there is a different but similar parable over in Luke chapter 19. And all of them are preference. Uh, they, are, they are preceded by the phrase, the kingdom of God is like. So Jesus is saying, the kingdom of God is like this. And he tells them a story. And in Matthew chapter 25, here's the story he tells them in verse 14. He says, a man was going on a long trip. The master, the nobleman, was going on a long journey. He called together his servants and he entrusted his money to them while he was gone. He entrusted them with his possessions. He gave five bags of silver to one. He gave two bags of silver to another and one bag of silver to the last dividing it in proportion to their abilities. Now, New Living Translation uses five bags of silver and uses the, the two bags of silver and the one bag of silver. Uh, some translations use the term talent. And talent was a measured amount of money. It was a particular sum of money. And Money was oftentimes, the value of money was often determined by the weight of that money. The heavier it was, the more it was worth. Some people say, okay, if the man was given five talents, how much was he given? Well, if you study across the board, there are several different ideas concerning this. There are some that interpret that one talent equals three months wages, which would be a reasonable sum, but not great. Some say it would be equal to what $1,000 would be today. I don't think that's probably true. There are others that claim that it could mean into the hundreds of thousands of dollars, even to millions of dollars, five talents could be. Regardless of how it's interpreted or what a person believes about this, here's what we just need to know about a talent. It was a lot of money. It was a lot of money. So Jesus said, I gave this man a significant amount of money. I gave one five bags of silver. I gave to the other two bags of silver. And then I gave one to another. And I gave it to them proportion to their abilities. Then it says, the man, the nobleman, he left on his trip. Verse 16, the servant who received the five bags of silver 
went at once and began to invest the money and earn five more. The servant with two bags of silver also went to work and earned two more. But the servant who received the one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and hid the master's money. After a long time, the master returned from his trip and he called them to give an account of how they had used his money. The servant to whom he'd entrusted the five bags of silver came forward with five more and said, Master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest and I've earned five more. The master was full of praise and said, Well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. The servant who had received the two bags of silver came forward and said, Master, you gave me two bags of silver to invest, and I have earned two more. They both doubled. What an investment. The master said, well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I'll give you many more responsibilities to celebrate together. Notice it's the same reward to the one who, who had two as, as the one who had five. It wasn't based upon the amount. It was based upon their faithfulness. Verse 24, then the servant with one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. In other words, I knew you to be harsh and demanding. He says, I was afraid that I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. He dug a hole and buried it. Look, here is your money back. I... We have to be careful venturing uh, out too far when we look at the scripture and what is in there and what we think might have been in there. I kind of look at, well, what was that person feeling at the time? What would it be like to be in that person's shoes? Now, he's heard the reports, I think, of the five that doubled and the two that doubled. And now he comes up and says, Master, I was afraid because I know you were strict. You were difficult and I was afraid, and so I just dug a hole and buried it. And here, here's what you gave me. What did he expect? What type of response did he expect from his master? I wouldn't be surprised. I think that he may have thought, well, at least I preserved it. At least I kept it, so he'll be okay with that. Not the case, not the case at all, as we see. He says, he says, uh, Look, here's your money back, verse 26. But the master replied, here's, here's the reply, you wicked and lazy servant. If you knew I harvested crops I didn't plant, gathered crops I didn't cultivate, why didn't you at least deposit the money in the bank and at least I would have the interest? Then he ordered, take the money from this servant and give it to the one with 10 bags of silver. This would horrify political correctness people. It's not fair we all should have equal. Whether we worked or not, everyone deserves equal. It's another political correctness lie. It's not based on biblical principle at all. Why would he take that one and give to the person he entrusted with 10? Because we already know that the master knew, without a doubt, the one entrusted with 10 was the one you could really rely on. Or he wouldn't have entrusted him with the most to begin with. So if he wants to see the most return on his money, he's going to put it in the hands of the most successful and the most responsible. But for the one who buried his talent, he said, he said that 
you, and as he says, here's, here's a preference we know that to those who use well what they're given, even more will be given. And they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, who don't use it, even what little they have will be taken away. And then these strong words in verse 30, now throw this useless servant into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now talents during those days were referring to financial amount, money. Over the years, it's come to mean in, to us, it's come to mean anything that God has given you in a sense of any resources, any gifts, any abilities that God has given you. In other words, it's anything, tools that God has given you to carry out his purpose. That's your talents. What talent, what gift, what has God given you? What resources has God put in your hands? That's your talents. So I want to look at four points that, put, that, that, that will confirm this that's found in Matthew chapter 25. And let's look at those four points together. First of all, number one, we need to remember that it all belongs to God to begin with. Whatever talent, whatever gift, whatever ability you have, it's from Him. We may have been able to develop it. We may have been able to use it very effectively, but He is the source. People say, well, I work at a job and I'm very successful at my job. I have learned to perform certain responsibilities. Who gave you the ability to get up in the morning? Who gave you the strength when you got on the job? Who gave you the mental ability to think and process those things and do your job? Bottom line, no matter what you see as your talent and gift and everything, it came from God. He's the source. Never forget that. They're not ours to begin with. He simply has given them to us and trusted them to us to be used. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 10 says, Everything belongs to God and all things were created by His power. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 20 says, You're not your own. You don't even, you don't even own yourself. You're not your own. You were bought with a price. That price was the blood of Jesus Christ. He says, since that's the case, you're not your own. Therefore glorify God. The scripture says in James chapter 1 that every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. Number one, goes to using your abilities. Remember, it all came from God. Secondly, we've been given different gifts and responsibilities, different opportunities. We're not all created equal. Oh, what an awful thing to say. The second paragraph of Declaration of Independence says that all men are created equal and are endowed with certain unalienable rights, life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness. In that sense, we're all equal. God has created us equal. He loves every one of us. And in respect to life itself, equally, we should have a right to life. We should have a right to liberty and freedom. It's what God desires. And we have a right to pursue happiness. Now remember, it doesn't say you have a right to happiness. It says you have the right to pursue happiness. Our society says it's my right to be happy. If someone opposes me and it makes me unhappy, they're violating my rights. If I don't have the possessions that someone else has, then I'm not happy. So the... the, the, the 
the old adage is among much, actually the, the new idea and philosophy of this world system and of many of our young college age students and those uh, young career people, the idea that's being promoted in our nation and government right now is the fact that everyone deserves to be happy. Everyone should be happy. Well, a lot of that depends upon that person, that situation. A lot of it depends on what's happened generationally. What it's saying is that everyone has the right to pursue that happiness, that joy. And I guarantee you, if you'll seek the Lord first in that, no matter where you are and who you are, He'll make a pathway to that. I believe that with all my heart. We've been given different gifts and, and responsibilities in life. I wasn't given the same as you and vice versa. Uh, and the amount given was based on each one's ability and opportunities. Romans 12, 6 says, By God's grace, He has given us different gifts to use accordingly, to use to help others. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10 says, God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well and serve one another. Yes, we all, some of us may have similar gifts, abilities, talents, but we all have different. When you look across the board at individuals, you look across the board at the church, the members of the church, it is a body made up of different members. We're all not supposed to function exactly alike. We all don't have the same gifts or we could not accomplish God's purpose. He's given to each one severally as he wills to build his kingdom. Yes? Amen. And so we're responsible. We understand that he's given different gifts to us. Now, all who increase equally are rewarded equally, no matter what that gift is. We, uh, third thing is we're responsible for what we've been given. We are responsible for what we have been given. No more, no less. God doesn't demand the same things of maybe you as he demands another. Everyone can't be a Billy Graham. Everyone cannot have a sphere of influence of millions of people. Everyone doesn't have the, the same talents. And some of them seem to have a great deal more power or effectiveness as far as what we see happening, as far as, the, as, as its demonstration. But it was a psalmist that said that he'd just rather be, than serve in the wicked, he'd rather just be a, he'd rather just be a door keeper in the house of the Lord. You know what that tells us is, is there's no little, when it, when it comes to the gift of God, there's no little ones and there's no big ones. There are different ones. And you're only responsible for what he's given you. Now, if you use it, it will be multiplied. But you don't have to feel like you've got to do what everyone else does. You don't have to feel like you have to live up to what anyone else does. Use what God has placed in your hands. Use what he's put in your life to affect the kingdom of God. That's all he asked. That's all he asked. And so he's given to us uh, a responsibility for what he's put in our hands. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, the very uh, 11 and 12, actually as you get to part of verse 11 and 12, it says, whatever you give is acceptable if you give it eagerly. And give according to what you have, not what you don't have. Give according to what you've been blessed with, what you've been given. And it doesn't matter if it seems to be as much as someone else. It's counted the same and blessed because you were faithful in what God put in your hands. 
That's the way it works. We are accountable and responsible for what God has given us. The fourth principle is that we are rewarded according to our faithfulness. We're rewarded according to our faithfulness. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6 says it's impossible to please God without faith. He who comes to God must believe that he is or that he exists and get this and that he, that God is a rewarder of them or those that diligently seek him. Salvation is by grace. It's a gift. You can't work to earn it. It's not a reward. It's a gift. But as a result of our salvation, what we do with what God has given us, the work, our faithfulness, that earns rewards. Now, what are those rewards going to be like? I don't know. But I know that we're rewarded in this lifetime. When we're faithful, we're rewarded in this lifetime, not just have to wait to heaven. If we're faithful what God's put in our hands, rewards and blessings come back into our life. It is a principle. You sow, you reap. It, remember, it's a principle. But it's not just about it's not just about that. It's about the fact of, you know, the Bible talks about laying up treasures in heaven, not material things, our mind on material things or wealth or things that pass away. But to lay up treasures in heaven. As you're faithful to Him and as you fulfill what He's put in your hands to do, you're laying up treasures in heaven. You are building, you are, you are actually accomplishing things that will result in being rewarded. The scripture's quite true. When you read it concerned prophetically, when it comes to the end of time and the, the judgment at the seat of Christ, that's only for those who've been saved. And when you're judged at the seat of Christ, that's not as to whether you go to heaven or hell. That's been determined already. Uh, you're saved. You're there. Security, uh, uh, you have security in heaven. It's yours. But then it speaks of different rewards in the scripture. So I think there are different rewards given to us as we stand before the Lord. So rewards are given. And rewards are not given as for someone who had a big name and accomplished big things as getting big rewards. And those perhaps that serve in the missionary somewhere no one really knew their name and they lived a very difficult, tough uh, lifestyle there. You know, we would say, well, it must be the one that everyone has, has applauded and everyone who's accomplished so much. He'll receive a great reward. The other one will receive a reward, be small. That's not how God looks at it. The rewards are given based upon faithfulness in whatever you put in your hands. It's not the size or the amount or the impressiveness of the gift. It's what you do with the gift that he's given. Amen? Amen. All right. So we have to get that down inside of us. So we have to understand that, that we are rewarded according to our faithfulness. And it's important for us to be faithful. The first, remember it says, I think the both uh, uh, first and second servant here uh, they went likewise. So I think they both, it says that once the, the, once the nobleman, once the man, the master said, here's these gifts, uh, use them while I'm gone. The word there, correctly in the Hebrew, immediately follows, he went, is immediately he went. It said something like this. It says, here, I'm going to trust this to you to use it. And the man said, yes, sir, I'm going to be faithful in it. I'm going to go to work with it. And work's not a bad thing. 
The toil should not be gruesome and grueling and tormenting. But the Bible talks a lot about work and work ethic. It talks about the dangers of laziness and how God hates laziness. And so it's important. It's important for us to know that when he calls us and gives us gifts, he wants us to simply do something with them. And when we do, he increases them. We're to be faithful and we're to be diligent. 1 Timothy 4.14 says, don't neglect the spiritual gift within you. Be faithful in that. You know, God created you individually, physically. Each one of you have a, uh, you're unique. You have a kind, your kind of DNA. It's your DNA. You've also been given a spiritual DNA. So there's something that God has put in you, equipped you with, that makes you unique to fulfill a particular thing that God has called you to do. Whether you are clearly aware of that or not yet, still he's put that in your life. When it comes to living in our life with the Lord in diligence, then you can't stand still in your Christian faith, you know? We're not called to be passively preservers. We're called to step on out and serve him with what he's entrusted us with. We're either moving forward or we're moving backwards and dying. It's no static, no standing still. Forward or backwards. Philippians chapter 1 verse 6, the Bible says, He, he who began a good work in you is faithful to bring it to completion. When Jesus ascended to heaven, I, that, you know, that is the picture he gave in this parable. It said a man went to a far country. He went on a long journey. Well, Jesus was portraying himself because he would ascend back to the Father, which would be a long journey. He would entrust his followers all the way to now. To the present. He entrusts us as his followers to advance his kingdom. In other words, to take what he has given us and to use it as he has called us to use it. Not to just sit idly by and wait. If we don't use it, we lose it. When Jesus left, when he went away, the word to us in Luke chapter 19 is simply, he says, occupy till I come. The word occupy does not mean sit. The word occupy means stand your ground and progress, move forward. When a particular nation perhaps is at war with another one, they move in and they occupy that foreign territory. Because we've been given the power to live out the kingdom of God life here, God has called us to step into this world system and occupy where we are. Translate, transfer his principles, his lifestyle, his heart into the world around us, affect the world around us. It's a high calling. He said, you occupy, you're standing your ground and you advance the kingdom against the kingdom of darkness and you do this faithfully and with diligence until I return. And if we do... 
and there are rewards that go with that. But you know, the Lord never put anything, the Lord never, never, ever would give you anything that he wouldn't give you the ability to use it. So if God calls you to do something and you feel like you need to back away from it and you're fearful and everything, if God truly put that in your heart, then trust him for the strength and the knowledge, the ability to do it, and that will begin to unfold. So very important for us to remember that one day there is a day of reckoning and a day of rewarding coming. So if we really believe Jesus is returning we know that we say Jesus lives in our heart. We know he's present by the Holy Spirit. We know God is everywhere. But we know that he is at the right hand of the Father, the Scripture says. And now the Holy Spirit's been sent. And that's his presence with us through the person of the Holy Spirit now. So if, if he's returning physically, literally returning again, and he is, then shouldn't that motivate us? If we're really waiting on his return, would that not motivate us? Would that not perhaps change some way we are looking at things right now and perhaps change the way we're thinking right now if we really expect that he's coming again? You know, we don't know when he'll return. It's closer now than it was yesterday. We do know that he is coming again. We don't know if an opportunity that you're given today when it passes by that you'll ever have that opportunity again. Are we making the most of our life? The cold, hard facts for us to realize sometimes is that God will find someone that's faithful to accomplish his purpose. He will use us or he'll use someone else. He'll use another church if a church is apathetic. He'll use us or someone else. Do people around us see us as a Christ follower? What steps of faith, and I'm going to use the term risk, what risk are we willing to take? And, and I, risk have a, it, within it a sense of fear of losing. I mean, when you're living out and sitting out in faith, there's no fear of losing it. But it is taking a step that may be a little bit out of your comfort zone. Before we go, I think I need to look at a couple of things here that tells us some things about this third servant, the man who lost it all. And we, when we read about him, we, we discover these things. You see, the focus of this parable, there's all kinds of different lessons in, in this one parable, all kinds of different lessons that we can learn from it. But it seems that the, one of the main focuses of this parable is on the third man the one who received only one talent. And there are some things, I think, that, that perhaps affected his, his thoughts and his actions on this as to why he didn't use what he was given. Why didn't he use what he was given? First, because I think he had a poor attitude about himself. He had an identity problem. You know, there are many Christians today who are not accomplishing nearly what God has for them to do because they do not know who they are in Christ. Could it be that when he saw one man receive five, 
And then another received two, and then the master comes and says, oh, here's you one. Could it be that for him that was an interpretation of saying, I'm not as important as everybody else. And I can't do what everyone else does, so I'm, I'm just not good enough. I'm, I'm not equipped well. I'm unworthy. And so I'm just going to dig a hole and bury it. Think about that, folks. You have to think about yourself as how God sees you. You want to know how valuable you are to Him? Look at the cross. Look at the price that was paid for you if you want to know just how valuable you were. And so we don't get puffed up in pride and say, look at me. This is, this is not about that kind of self-identity. We identify as being His. We belong to Him. We are now the righteousness of God through Christ. We are different. We're kingdom citizens. We don't do that with, a, with our nose up in the air. We do it humbly saying, God, it's because of what you did for me. You as a Christian can be humble and still be confident. Confident in who you are. Confident in what God has given you. Being confident is not the same as being prideful. And this man evidently was lacking in confidence for one reason or another, and he had a poor attitude about himself. Someone once said, a person's lifestyle is always consistent with, the opinion about him, with his opinion about himself. Interesting. If he thinks he's a failure, he'll find a way to fail. If he thinks he's successful, he'll find a way to succeed. So, all right, I understand there's some things in that that might, might be a, a little bit more of a psychological concept that might not in always align with the scripture exactly. However, the scripture does say, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Do you think, uh, what do you think about yourself? You think you're a failure? You think you're unworthy? You think you're not as important as someone else? You think your gift won't make a difference? As you think in your heart, so are you. What we do is consistent with how we think about ourselves, how we see ourselves. Remember the Old Testament? Moses sent out 12 spies into the promised land, remember? To Canaan. 10 came back and says, oh, it's beautiful. You can't imagine the crops that are being grown there. It is amazing. It's just like, it's just like it was promised to us, just as it was promised to us. However, while we were there, we saw giants that were huge. And we were like grasshoppers in their eyes. The problem was they were like grasshoppers in their own eyes. Two came back that were walking in faith. And Caleb said, we've already been given this land. It's a promise. Let's go take it. He had a different attitude about who God was, who he was. Which brings us to the second problem that the third man had was he had a wrong perception of God. You know that people's misconception of God, who he is and what he's like, it so often has hindered them from experiencing God's best and from accomplishing what he's called them to do. To this man, he said, I know God that you are, and I think he was saying, I know that you're a hard man. You can be a demeaning man. You're difficult. Do you know there's some people today who have that 
idea when it comes to what God's like? Do you know that there are people sitting in churches today that their primary concept of God is he's up there and if I don't please him then he's going to come down and he's going to judge me and he's going he's a you know I've got it's just like you're living underneath that domination and they have an idea of a, of a strict restrictive God that's out to get us they feel very uncomfortable it's hard for them to even imagine that that God could love them after all look look this is God how could you love me and they see God as someone who simply governs from afar off or a God that you just simply cannot really know. That kept him from receiving God's very best and it kept him from using what had been placed in his hands because he had a poor idea or concept as who God is. Who is God to you? How do you see God? He's great, he's powerful, he's almighty, he rules. Yes, amen, he does. But in that greatness and in that holiness, he's chosen to demonstrate his love to us through the gift of his son where his mercies endure forever, where his grace abounds in our life and where he calls us to walk in abundance. Is that the God you serve? <clears throat> After all, Jesus said, I want you to really know what God's like. <clears throat> I want you to really know what God's like. You know what Jesus, you know what Jesus, what he wanted to get across? He said it over and over again. He said, this is what your God is like. He's your father. He came to reveal the nature of God as primarily being one of relationship. Father, you can know him. And the final thing <clears throat> I think that affected this man, <clears throat> and actually it was, an, uh, it was like an, um, an umbrella. It was like an overwhelming thing that affected him in every aspect, and it'll do that to you. Um, he was filled with fear and was irresponsive or lazy. Fear, fear can do that to you. Fear perhaps has kept many of you from moving forward in your faith. Fear perhaps has held you back in moving forward and toward your dream. Fear has held you back from stepping out and being that witness, that example in the workplace at school. Fear has kept you back from using the very talents that he's put in your hands. Fear held you back. And that's what held this man back. And remember the master said, he called this man wicked because this man said, I was afraid of you. He had a wrong perception of God because it was an unhealthy fear of God. Are we supposed to fear God? Absolutely. But it's a godly fear. It's a reverence. It's not a fear of torment. But he had a perception that he, this man was going to get even with him when he came back. He was afraid. If I lose or do something wrong, then he's, he's going to get me. And out of that wrong perception of God, he allowed fear to be his motivation. And rather than reaching out and taking the step and doing what was there before him to do, what he had been entrusted to do by his master, he said, I'll tell you what, <clears throat> I'll just play it safe. 
I'll bury it. And he thought if he buried it, he wouldn't lose it. But the truth is, he found out that when you do bury, when you don't use what God has given you, you lose it. It is a life precept. It is absolutely true. And God wants us to be aware of it. And he wants us to use what he's placed in our hands. And do it with faith and courage. And expect that you're going to see results. I believe that. I believe that for you right now this morning. And I want us to stand and pray over it before we go any further. <clears throat> Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. <clears throat> you know, the Christian life is not about performing duties or just working in church or working to perform His will. That's not what it's about. It's about work and diligence and, uh, and activities that flow out of our life that's been filled with His presence and grace. It's a flowing. Work is not primarily from our effort, though we must make an effort. It comes from an inward desire that He puts within us. And when we do that, work doesn't wear us out, even though we may get tired physically. Work even can invigorate us because it's allowing the Holy Spirit to work in our life. Make any sense to you? And God simply wants each one of you this morning. You just, let's right now just take a moment to evaluate. Let's take a moment to listen. Let's take a moment and ask the Lord simply this. Lord, And I think we have to start with saying, Lord, thank you for your overwhelming, marvelous, powerful love that changed me. Is Christ in your heart this morning? Have you received him as your personal savior? If you have, he changes your life forever. He puts you on the right course and you have the promise of heaven. I want to ask you, before you go today, if that's what you need to do, do it. If you need to talk to someone about it, we'll be up here at the front. Be glad to talk with you about it. But I think primarily I'm speaking to Christians today. Those of you who've already trusted Him. I want you to ask the Lord, Lord, show me clearly what you put in my hands. Show me the gifts. Show me the opportunities, the open doors that are there before me. Show me, Lord. And this is not just a one-time thing. It's unfolding. You'll come to know more and more and more. These gifts, they continue. Things open up for you. They increase. But you see, one principle is that Unless you use what you have, you can't advance further into what God has out there for you. So if you want to go forward, there's more and more and more out there for you. If you want to stand still, you're going to lose ground. So this morning, I don't think anybody here wants to lose ground. I think you want to move forward with whatever gift God's put in your life. You may think, oh, it's small. There's not a whole lot I can do. I have some physical restrictions. I have some, I, I, I can't get about like I used to, or I, 
I don't have the opportunities other people have. I don't, I don't have the training or the education maybe someone else has. I, I just stop talking about what you don't have and look at what you do have, what God's already given you. And I want to ask you this morning, what has God put in your life? What's he put in your hand? What has he entrusted you with? Holy Spirit, reveal that to us this morning. Begin to open that, open our minds to that. And then, Lord, help us to respond in faith and saying, Lord, I will immediately step out without fear and take the risk and move out in faith and believe that you're going to bless it and you're going to use it for your kingdom. And the results of that's going to be great.